Welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea, and today I'm joined by a woman who truly knows and exemplifies what it means to love with no strings attached. Hillary Whittington is a mom, author, and advocate who has dedicated her life to her children and to raising awareness about the transgender community. After discovering her child was deaf at the age of one and needed cochlear implants, Hillary spent nearly four years successfully teaching Ryland to speak. But once Ryland gained the power of speech, it was now time for Hillary to listen to what her child had to say. Her child, who was born a girl, now at age four, insisted, I am a boy. And listen, did she? After learning that 41% of people who identify as transgender attempt to take their own lives, Hillary and her husband made it their mission to support their child no matter what. In this episode, Hillary shares her journey of parenting a transgender child, what she learned along the way, from the earliest stages of deciphering Ryland through clothing choices, to examining the difficult conversations that have marked every stage of Ryland's transition, Hillary shares what her experiences as a mother have been through it all. In telling her family's story, she hopes she can assist the world in accepting that even children as young as five can have profound and impactful things to say and share. Hillary's story is a powerful one of unconditional love, accepting others for who they are, and doing what's right, regardless of whether those around you understand it. Hillary and her family have been recognized as the best straight allies, received the LGBTQ Trailblazer Award by the Harvey Milk Foundation, received the Courage Award from NCLR, received recognition from the Trevor Project, and have been recognized with the Harvey Milk Inspiration Award. Hillary and Jeff continue to raise awareness through public speaking and remain dedicated to the progression of the LGBTQ inclusive public policy. Listen in to this powerful conversation. Okay, so are we ready just to get started then? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, Hillary, welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, as I just told you, a friend put your book and story on my radar last year, and I've just been waiting for the right time to invite you to come on and to share your story. And I think there there couldn't be a better time than now. And we'll talk about the legislation and all of the anti-trans legislation um, later after we share your story. I'm just super grateful for you to make the time to share your story and your voice and your son's story. So thank you. Absolutely. We're, we're happy that it's still helping people and it's still touching people's lives. And, um, you know, I'm grateful to report things are really going great in our lives and um, no regrets at this point. So, yeah. Yeah. And I want to talk about that because you wrote, so your book is called Raising Rylan, our story of parenting a transgender child with no strings attached. And you released, the book was published in 2006 and a lot has changed since then. Was that right? 2006? 2000. Oh, wait, it's 2016. I said 2006. Yeah. Hello. I have it right here in my notes. You're like, no, was, was he even born then? I don't think so. He was born in 2007. So I had to like, okay. sometimes I even forget the year that I wrote it. So well, I have it right here in front of me. 2016 <laughs> is when it was, when it was published. So a lot has changed since then and not necessarily for the better. And you, um, and we'll talk about that because you happen to live in a California, which is a state that's a little more supportive of your journey. And then I want to talk about parents that don't live in a state that's supportive of their journey parenting a transgender child. So before we do all that, Hillary, I've kind of jumped in a little bit. Just tell me, I said, where you are in the world, who you live with, kind of your day-to-day life, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, my husband and I have been married since, um, 2005 and, um, our son, Rylan, our transgender son, um, who's also deaf, he is now 15. He'll be 16 in December. And then we have a daughter, a cisgender daughter named Brinley, and she, um, will be 11 on Friday. So yeah, we have two dogs, um, a mutt named Jack, a pug, his adorable name, Obi. He's our COVID dog. And then we have a cat, a Siamese cat. And we live in um, San Diego, sort of East County, San Diego, um, in a little community called La Mesa. And yeah, my son's in high school as a freshman. My daughter's just ready to finish elementary school. We're doing great. Um, life is good. We live about a block from my in-laws. Uh, my parents are about an hour away and um, Jeff has two brothers that live nearby and we're just chugging along doing sports and 
driving kids all over the place from their activities right now. We're just sort of in, in the busy buzz of raising kids. And um, yeah, I, I mean, things are going remarkably well. We're very grateful. So. Which is, which is amazing to hear and say, and again, it like just reminds me how, when you have a com- supportive community and family and government, how, how this journey, although still really hard can be made a little easier. So yeah, we're in that stage too. My, I know you're celebrating birthday this week. We also have a big birthday party tomorrow for my 14 year old. So we're both in that momming stage of like juggling all of that. So let's start, as you mentioned your child, and I want to clarify, how do you want me to address pronouns? Cause I listened to a couple other interviews of yours and it was, a, a, it varied a little bit. Um, Ryland is a he, but born with born female. So when we share the story, how should we use, how do you, are you comfortable with pronouns? So a lot of people will ask me, you know, we'll refer to Ryland prior to transition using female pronouns. I struggle with that because, you know, he's been my son longer than he was ever my daughter. And just looking at him and and being around him today, you would never feel comfortable using, even just speaking of him prior to transition, he's just such a boy. So, I mean, if it doesn't confuse your listeners, I, I prefer to just use male pronouns throughout the interview, even though yeah. I mean, at one point he was my daughter, you know, or I thought he was my daughter. Um, so I know that sounds confusing to people, but I think just out of respect for Rylan, it, it feels more comfortable for me to just refer to him as my son, even though at one point we thought he was my daughter. Yep. No, no, no. I appreciate that. And that's why I asked. Cause like I said, I listened to an interview yesterday that she was used early on and you were trying, I was like, Hmm, I don't know if it was a mom, how I, like that would be really hard. And especially your son is a son. He's a he. Yeah. So will- I think it's to try not to confuse the listeners, but I mean, it, I know it's going to be confusing probably for some listeners anyway. It's just, you know, kind of just part of the, part yeah. of the story, but yes. yeah. So- I won't end it if you, you know, mishap and say she, when we're talking about him prior to transition, okay. but we will have a hard time doing that. So, okay. So just for confusion's sake, Hillary, your child was your child Ryland was born female and has transitioned to a male, to a boy. He's fully boy. He is your son. So we are going to use pronouns he, because that is how you know your son. So let's go back. And there's a lot. I so encourage people to get your book, Raising Ryland, because there's a lot more in your story that we're not going to have time to go into today. We're going to hit some highlights of your parenting journey, but there's so much more. So I do want to share that, but I think it's important to the story to share your son was born deaf. And that is a big part of the story. I probably wrestled with like, do we even talk about that? Because that could be a whole podcast in itself. But I think that's really important for the transition and him coming out. So take us back to that when, you know, those early years when you're realizing, not early years, early months, when you're realizing my baby cannot hear and, and, and kind of that process that then leads us into then he's, he can start vocalizing some things. Sure. Yeah. I actually call it my training ground because, and I didn't know it at the time, but it sort of, I think in a way set me up for the next challenge, um, being that he was transgender. So, you know, as a first parent, I think anyone can relate to this. Um, you know, your first child, you really don't know what to expect. You read those books, what to expect when expecting, and then, you know, what to expect the first year. And, um, you know, there's a lot of milestones that, that children meet at different times. And, with Rylan, he was so visual, you know, we, I, I sort of denied that he was deaf in the beginning and mind you, he passed his newborn hearing test or, or so I thought at the time they told me he passed, but he'd actually failed the first two trials. And then he barely passed the third and they never mentioned anything to me, which that's a whole nother story. I, I contacted them and, and dealt with that later. But, um, you know, the first year seemed pretty normal. He, you know, I, I was able to breastfeed and he was great eater and everything was really just smooth. Um, until, you know, my, some of my friends who had infants, the same age, weren't, were starting to say mama, dada, and Ryland just wasn't doing that. And, um, I had made, I had called the doctor's office a few times, made appointments and sort of talked myself out of it. Just not wanting to believe that there was anything quote unquote wrong with my child. And, um, 
you know, sort of the the straw that broke the camel's back was one day my father-in-law, my father-in-law and mother-in-law would watch Rylan one day a week while I worked at a dental office. And um, they were noticing that he wasn't, you know, speaking and turning to sounds as much. And so my father-in-law called me one day and he said, Hey, you know, I'm sorry, you really have to get this figured out. And I picked up the phone. I called the doctor's office that very day. And my husband was at the fire department working that day. And I just, I just knew I had to do it. So I went into the doctor's office and I remember the doctor specifically telling me, Oh, I wouldn't lose any sleep over this, but since you're concerned, it warrants me to order a a bear test, which is a um, sedated hearing test. And you know, I'll never forget him saying I wouldn't lose any sleep over this. And it was like, he didn't think that I was right. And that was like, for me, such a learning moment because it made me realize that doctors don't always have every answer. And you have to sort of look within yourself as a parent to follow your intuition that something isn't right. You're with that child 24 hours a day. Those doctors see your baby, you know, for what, 20 minutes, like, you know, once a month or whatever it is. And so, um, that night I remember going home by myself and, um, Rylan was sleeping and I went in his room and, um, at the time, you know, thinking Rylan was my daughter and I would, I was banging pots and pans over Rylan's head and there was nothing like no, nothing. And so it was at that moment, I just kind of realized, holy cow, my child is deaf and I've been in denial about it for a long time. So, um, that was a definite struggle. I mean, I would be lying if I said that, that, that wasn't heartbreaking for me. And, um, you know, you just have these images in your head of how your child's life is going to go. We all do. And that all sort of just got smashed. You know, I thought I pictured Rylan sitting at the Thanksgiving table with the whole family and not being able to hear us having a amazing conversation. I thought, let's be honest. I mean, the world is a hearing world. I mean, not very many people know sign language and sign language is one of those things where if, if you want to communicate with someone who's deaf, you have to learn their language. It's not like Spanish or French where, you know, anyone, you know what I mean? Like you could go to that country and communicate with people. So, um, not to spend too much time on that. It was a struggle. And, Thankfully, we did some research and found cochlear implants, which is very controversial in the deaf community. They don't agree with them. They think that they are um, child abuse. But, you know, we, I, didn't, I didn't realize that until you shared that in your in your book. And it's like, again, some of the parallels between yeah, the, the sure. child and then transgender and the things that you encountered and the advocacy, like it's really it's It's ironic. It really is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so of course, you know, I learned sign language right away. I taught Rylan everything I knew enrolled in college class with my brother-in-law. We, we were, you know, we, Rylan learned 250 signs before he was able to receive um, cochlear implants. So he was pretty, he could communicate at that point, you know, around one to two. And so, um, yeah, we did the research, found cochlear implants. Thankfully, he was a candidate for them. He had all of the um, internal anatomy to receive them. And cochlear implants are one of those things that just because a child gets them does not mean that they instantly have access to talking, speaking, hearing. It was like, then you have to start from square square one and teach them where all the sounds come from. So I had a full-time job with Rylan. I mean, I could never um, rely on any child care person or even family member to, to do the work that I had to do with him. Um, and thankfully I was able to stay home with him and do that. And I think it was great because I really got to know him during that time. And, um, you know, and I had a lot of work to do. I had to read him, you know, 15 books a day and and everything I did, I had to talk about. It was like, okay, I'm brushing my teeth. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. So anyways, um, not to go too much into that, but he, he's able to hear and speak beautifully. And that came from all of the hard work. And, and at, at one point we decided, you know, if he wants to really be a member of the capital deaf community and, and completely do sign language, he can take his cochlear implants off and he is back to being deaf again. And he can really immerse himself in that life if he wants to. But if we didn't give him cochlear implants, he wouldn't have had that opportunity. Right. And I really, I, I hate like hurrying over this part of the story because it's, it's powerful in itself of you navigated a lot. Like this was not just like a pretty, like, let's just get the implants and everything is good. Like 
it was exhausting. They didn't put the sound right. It was hard for Rylan at first. Didn't like, like it was so much like you were an exhausted mom, just getting over this hurdle. And you, I'm guessing at that time thought, okay, this is our biggest life challenge right now with this child. And we just got to get through this and then we will be good. But (laughs) God had other plans in mind for you all, because once Rylan starts to be able to hear and talk and express themselves, some other things start to happen. So let's dive in a little bit, if you don't mind just sharing what happens then. And Rylan's like, what, three, three-ish, four at that time? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and you'll, I mean, you probably just reading my book are more fresh on this than I have. I mean, he's 15 now and sometimes yeah. I even forget exactly the timing of everything, but, um, you know, when he first started getting sound, some of the first words out of his mouth were, I am a boy. And my husband and I thought, okay, this poor little kid is confused. And I, I was just like everyone else. I thought, well, maybe Rylan hasn't been around Jeff enough. You know, my husband was a firefighter working 24 hour shifts. And so I was primary caregiver and I thought, well, maybe Rylan just has a total obsession with his father and you know, that's totally fine. And, and so Rylan was just always in Jeff's closet, trying on Jeff's clothes and playing dress up, always wanted to be the dad and very masculine choices all the time. And it just progressively started to get more challenging as time went on, because I think I'm a pretty open-minded person to begin with, but this was so much deeper. I mean, I got to the point and I would look inside myself and say, come on, Hillary, what is going on with you? How can you not control your child? And I think as parents, we look at other parents and we're going, holy moly, you need to really rein your kid in. And right. This was the first experience that I had where I was looking at myself thinking, what in the world is wrong with me? Right. Just put him in a dress, just tell him what to wear and it's fine. And you were trying that and you were bribing him. And I mean, share a little bit of just that struggle. Like you were trying. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's like painful to think about right now. Um, I'm going to get a tissue because this is a tearjerker for me. Okay. Um, and I, I hope you give yourself so much grace as moms, we are doing the best we can in those moments. And they're sure there's that the, the, the child books out there, but they don't. They don't know all of these things. So no. give yourself so much grace. I know it's hard to like rehash the mistakes as moms, but. Yeah. I mean, so there were moments that I can think of where I would have to like, just to know that the fight was coming, I would sort of, sort of warn Rylan and start talking about things two months ad- or two weeks in advance. I would say, okay, Easter's coming. You know, we, this is the dress I, that you're going to wear. And I would sort of just like have to kind of start building up to those dates. We took my girlfriend, Jen and I, she had a little girl, same age as Rylan. And we took them to the Disney on ice. I remember. And all of the little girls um, wear princess dresses to these events. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but it's like, you know, (laughs) pretty magical. And we thought Rylan's going to be so disappointed if, you know, at the time as a little girl, like Rylan's the only one not wearing a dress. And so we, I specifically remember arm wrestling Rylan in, in, in the car seat into this dress. And Rylan was like screaming and crying and foaming at the mouth. And it was like, I think Rylan even urinated um, in the dress because at the time so upset about it. And, you know, thinking back to those moments, I just like cringed because I didn't know what I didn't know. And I just thought Rylan was kind of being spoiled and didn't know that all the other kids would be in costume. And there was, it was so much deeper than that. And just, you know, outfits, Christmas, holidays, uh, fancy plays. And mind you, I come, my husband's family is a pretty, um, conservative traditional family. And so, they, you know, I mean, they kind of expected that Rylan, we would all dress appropriately for certain occasions. And uh, and a little girl, we're still talking about Rylan is like four years old. So this is not a high school or when they can just like, whatever, wear t-shirt and jeans. Families love to dress the little girls in bows and frillies and all that. So you're just trying to go along with that, make family happy, kind of live into this thought that you had of raising a daughter. Now there was one, there was several big moments that really struck me. And I know you too, of when you walk in on the closet, um, in your husband's closet. So maybe share a little of that. And again, Rylan is like three or four years old at this time. Yeah. So, uh, Rylan at the time was going to the deaf 
a deaf school that was a little ways away in our community and was driving, you know, was going on this like small bus and it was super cute. But anyway, every day when Rylan came home from school at three years old, I still can't believe I said I put my three-year-old on this bus, but it was like a little bus for like little kids. That were deaf. And, and Rylan loved it. And so Rylan would get off the bus and, you know, come in and go straight for Jeff's closet and put on all of Jeff's tie and shoes and nice clothes. And the thing that was, that struck me was that one day Rylan got all dressed up and came out and said, mommy, mommy, please don't tell anybody about this. And that was kind of alarming to me because I, I could see the shame in Rylan. And I said, what do you mean, Rylan? Not tell anybody, mommy, please don't tell anybody that I'm, I'm a boy. Or, mm-hmm. And so I think there was, it's one thing for a child to just dress up and play and have fun. It was another now that Rylan was showing shame and fear of other people finding out that there was this like secret side. And I think that that just kind of hit me at the, at the time, like this is, there's something different going on here. It wasn't just a normal, typical situation. And again, I think I could read Ryland better than maybe most because I was with him like 24 hours a day and seven days a week. So that for me, as a mom, I just empathize with you because you do feel very alone in this. I mean, even your husband's so on board now, but it was not that was not an easy road marriage wise, kind of a little bit like when he was deaf, like, no, something is off here. Something is not aligning and you feel like, okay, is something wrong with me? Am I like, but no, you are in it and you know, it as a mom and you're beginning to trust yourself and listen to your child. Okay. This is not, not what we were thinking. And so another huge moment, um, which I, I feel like you have these moments that just keep like pounding it into you that you cannot turn away. So ignore them. The, the haircut moment. I mean, and when, what did he ask you about when you all die, if you don't mind sharing that? Cause I think that's really powerful too. And again, we're talking about like a four-ish year old. Okay. Yeah. 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 And mind you, I'm trying to do as much research as I can about what's going on, but there is nothing out there at this point in time. There was nothing. There was no literature that I could find. I didn't even know what the word, I didn't know transgender could, the word transgender could even include children at that time. I just, at this time I'm thinking, okay, my child will probably just be a, a masculine like lesbian, maybe one day, or like just a masculine girl. Like I didn't know. So, and that was fine with me. I just, um, I just, I just needed answers at that time. So one night and I, my daughter, I had my daughter at that time, she was little and I put her to bed and I was working on Christmas cards. That's what it was. And on the return address labels, I had chosen these little characters for each of us. And like my, for my husband, I think he had a Santa hat on. I think I had like reindeer ears. And then for Rylan's character, I chose long blonde hair because at the time Rylan was, had long blonde hair. And then I chose a cowboy hat for Rylan's character, um, which was very fitting because at the time Rylan loved cowboy hats for obvious reasons. And so Rylan comes in and he sees me putting these Christmas cards together. And he, he looks at the, the return address label and he says, mom, how could you do that to me? And I look at him and I'm like, do what to you? And Rylan's like, how could you make me look like a girl? And I was sort of in shock because I mean, how do you respond to that? I'm like, so I just said, Rylan, because you are a girl, honey. And Rylan just looked at me and just ran out of the room, started crying. And I'm like, well, I guess that didn't go well. But, you know, and there have been other moments that had happened that sort of led up to that, too. A lot of moments, a lot of moments. This is I'm talking there was a moment every day that something happened. But that was a big one for me because it was sort of just building and building and building. And so that night in bed, I was putting Rylan to sleep and I was reading him a book and Rylan said, Oh, it's so hard to say. Um, Rylan's a mom. When the family dies, I'll wait. I'll mom. I'll wait until the family dies so that I can cut my hair. And I said, why would you have to wait until we're, we're gone to do that? And I just remember like at that point, him taking off his ears and just crying himself to sleep. And, and so it, it, it was a moment for me because I thought, you know, he doesn't want to disappoint us while we're alive. He wants to wait until we're dead to be who he really is. And that was really, really hard to hear. Also, there was a moment where I was giving him a bath. I, I want to say it was near then and, and it's in our YouTube video. And he says, 
he says, this is my sister, Brinley, and I'm her brother, Ryland. So there was that. Anyway, so the, the moment happened uh, when he said, when the family dies, I'll cut my hair. Well, the next morning I woke up and my husband's still at the fire department at this point. Next morning, Ryland wakes up and I'm thinking, okay, that's, that's over. That's done. And it wasn't, he says, mom, why did God make me like this that morning before school? <sighs> How do you answer your child when they say that to you? You know, like it was like at that young age, he knew that that we weren't okay with him being a boy. Like kids are smart. They pick up on our cues. They understand. They see our faces. They are not dumb. And as much as I was okay with Ryland dressing up and playing with boy things and, you know, wearing, you know, gender neutral clothes. And I was trying to just be the best mom I could be. He still knew deep down that we weren't okay with him actually being a boy, our son. We weren't willing to sort of cross that bridge. You know, it was like, we came right up to it and we weren't willing to cross it because at par- as parents at that time, like this was just an unheard of thing and, um, very scary. You know, it was like at the fire department, the guys thought it was so cool that Jeff had a tomboy for a daughter that would go rock climbing and hiking and loved all the like cool boy. And I hate to say boy things, but all the cool masculine things to do, you know, unlike most little girls who are dressing up in princess gear and don't want to get dirty. It was like, Rylan was just like rough and tumble. Let's do this. And that was super celebrated. But the second that it crossed that bridge and, and we were going to call Rylan, our son and transition, it was like, whoa, screeching halt. Nobody's going to support that. That is not celebrated. So Ryland just knew that as a little kid, they're smart. And I'll tell you what, a lot of kids are smart enough to know that they can get right up into that point, but there's no crossing it. And that's where we were at with that. And at that point, you know, my husband and I had had a lot of disagreements about this. My husband was gone. He was already stressed out about the fact that Ryland was already going to live a life being different and deaf with cochlear implants. It was like, my husband didn't want to open his eyes to one more thing that could potentially make Ryland a target, something that, you know, he would be made fun of. And my husband has a gay brother. He has a gay aunt, you know, where it's not like we're close-minded people, but to think that your child is going to have to live a harder life is a really like a nightmare because it's like, you don't want that for your child. And yeah, my husband and I were not getting along about this. I was trying to like leave little breadcrumbs around the house of like, I did find a couple of books and I would try and get my husband. My husband wanted nothing to do this. So there was a lot of tension in the marriage at this point, because I knew that we had to do something and my husband didn't even want to talk about it. So, and, and again, yeah, we're looking at years ago where it's not talked about as much as today. And even though today it's not necessarily talked about in a positive light, so I'm not even sure which time period would be easier, but your, your mom instincts are like in full force, not even instincts. I mean, Ryland told you and is telling you. And so I think the instinct is you start learning and you start learning all you can. You start seeing stats. I mean, the stats that 40, was it 41% of transgender youth is it youth that try to attempt younger people? It's 41. It was 41 at the time. I don't know what the stat is now, but it was 41% of transgender people attempt suicide. That was staggering. I mean, what population of people is that okay? I mean, if this was a stat, like for anything else, 41% of diabetic people do this or any other group, we would be up in arms about it. And I feel and we'd like be doing everything possible to support use pronouns, support social transitioning bathrooms, whatever. Right. I know it is. And I think the statistics are pretty similar today. They definitely have not gone down at all. So some other stuff that you, well, with that statistic though, that really slaps you in the face also of like, okay, I would rather have a transgender alive son son than, yeah. And, and God, I would think any mom would feel the same way or any parent in that situation. Some other things that you start learning that I think are real important facts for people out there listening are just some of the, well, one, that this early age, because I think some people can think, gosh, at that early age that he already knew, but that's actually not uncommon and it's kind of a developmental line. Do you mind sharing just about that? 
Yeah. I mean, as I go along, I'm learning more and more and I'm, I'm definitely not an expert on everything in this, on this topic, but I can tell you about my experience and the things that I've learned so far. Gender is actually um, something that children discover between the ages of, I want to say three and six. And I know that's kind of hard to believe, but a lot, most times children's gender identity aligns with their sex, you know, their sex assigned at birth. So you know, we don't even realize it's happening, but children do usually fit. Those things do fit well. Not all transgender people discover, you know, know that they're trans early on, but Ryland did. And he very cleanly fit into the boy box. A lot of trans kids, you know, will kind of waver and they don't feel entirely male or entirely female. And sometimes they don't even discover or realize that their feelings or know that it, things don't align until they're maybe going through puberty or, but I will say that the, quite a few trans people that I've spoken to adults have told me that they knew at a very early age that things didn't align um, and they didn't feel entirely like the sex that they were assigned at birth. So with Rylan, in a way, I think we were kind of lucky because he was very clear very early on and told us. We just had to listen and, and realize that this child knew more about themselves than we did. And it's a very hard thing as a parent to sit and, you know, let your child sort of take the wheel at that young age. But Ryland knew very early and continued. And I think he felt safe. Like, I, I mean, you can say, well, a lot of transgender kids don't come out till later. I mean, I, I imagine so much of that is how safe they feel within their home to like express. And I think Ryland had, a, even though you made mistakes, had a really safe place with you to be saying these things and you not getting mad or so I, I'm sure that plays into him being able to come out at an earlier age. Thank you. I, I think that that probably was part of it, you know, and again, I wasn't perfect and I fought back pretty hard for a pretty long time. And so did Jeff, but you know, you just see the pain. It's like parents say they can tell when their child is crying because they're hungry or they need their diaper changed or they're just tired or whatever. It was like, as a parent, I knew him so well that I could tell that the pain, it was, it was a painful cry. It wasn't like a bratty cry. And you could just see it in his eyes. It was like, you know, going to, he would rather not go to Disneyland than having to go to Disneyland and address. It was like the pain of being seen as a girl. And, you know, I, I hope you don't mind me doing this really quick, but it's like, I try to explain to people, it's like you, you know, you feel, uh, or, or me even like, I feel entirely female. I, I love being a woman. I love getting dressed up in female clothes. I, I really enjoy my femininity. And if you can somehow, the listeners out there, if there's a female, you know, think about waking up tomorrow morning. If you're, if you're a female now, you wake up tomorrow morning and you have a masculine chest, hairy chest, deep voice, hair on your face. And you have the same mind that you have right now, but you wake up in an entirely different body and you have to live the rest of your life pretending to be male or, you know, vice versa. If there's men listening to this, think about waking up tomorrow morning with breasts and long hair and a soft voice and having to live your entire life female. And that is exactly what trans people go through. And your brain is your brain. It's how you feel. And it's, um, when it doesn't align, it's almost like your body, you know, going against your brain. Right. And that's, I think what so many people that are so against or think it's parents pushing, like they're just not really understanding and being empathetic to that. And also how sexuality and gender identity are, are very, very different things. And your research, you start learning all this and telling your husband, we actually need to support him. You take him to a therapist. It's just not you. Like you are getting professionals involved. Your therapist says that, yeah, our Ryland's therapist, that he meets three criteria, insistent, consistent, and persistent. And he's been that way for more than three years. The transgender Child Institute lists four distinguishing characteristics, which are bathroom behavior, swimsuit aversion, underwear preferences, and types of toys, and Rylan meets all four. So you're like, okay, I can't actually shut my eyes anymore. The therapist also recommends, and I know this was another big turning point, that you let Rylan socially transition in the middle of a school year. And I'm thinking that was like pre-K, is that right? Um, So I know that was hard because you thought, okay, we'll wait till the next school year, but... The therapist is like, actually, that could be harmful. Mm-hmm. And when you were in those parent support groups, that was like one of the biggest regrets that they wish they would have had a transition their child sooner. So 
making Rylan still act like a girl, present like a girl, like that literally could have been very, very harmful to him. So you make this decision to let him start socially transitioning. So share yep. a little bit about that. And also what that term means if listeners don't know, because this is not, yeah, what rumors and myths and all that would think. Yeah, there's no surgeries. There's no, at that point, no medication. All you're doing is for Rylan, we merely allowed him to cut his hair and, you know, we changed his room to, to like a more masculine room. Um, he was already sort of playing with masculine toys. So it was that. And then just changing pronouns. So just calling him our son, saying he, and just looking at him as our, as our son. And so there was nothing harmful done at that point. It was more just pronouns and clothes and bedroom. And that was it. And so at that point, you're doing nothing wrong. There's nothing that you can't undo with a child. And I think that's what people are so confused about. Like, Oh, you're going to give your child surgery. No, 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 you're not. And in fact, Ryland may never, ever, ever have a surgery because and I don't want to jump ahead too much. I don't know if you're ready for like the next step, but you know, when we socially transitioned and we did nothing, nothing medically, and we didn't have to do anything medically until later. Right. Yeah. And so yeah, let's wait to talk about the later, uh, cause puberty, but like you said, maybe never have the surgery, but when puberty comes, there are some additional steps, but this young, younger age before puberty, it is just social, socially transitioning to all the things that you said. And did you sense a change? I mean, I know you did. Okay, so of course you did. Share a little bit about how Ryland personality, demeanor, like all of that started changing once you let him socially transition. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because looking back, we didn't really think that Ryland was that, like, you know, well, I mean, I shouldn't say sad, but like was a pretty happy-go-lucky kid. But, you know, obviously there were hard times, but I mean, once we like really transition and start calling him our son, thankfully we had chosen a, a gender neutral name to begin with. So that was lovely because we didn't have to change Ryland's name. Could you imagine if his name was like Jessica or something, Andrea? Right. That's know. another reality that parents have to face. Like now do we change the name and birth certificates and all that? So you yeah. at least have that one off your list. Luckily, Ryland had a gender neutral name. So it was just, you know, changing pronouns. And yeah, Ryland, like the change in our child was instantaneous. It was like just this glow, this happiness. I mean, Ryland would wake up in a great mood and it was, it, I will say it was a night and day change. Just seeing him as our son, it was like Disneyland every day, you know, like, I don't know how to explain that, but then again, I didn't think he was like terrible before, but once I saw the the change after the transition, it made me think, wow. Right. I mean, if we're living in any amount of shame or hiding, it's going to like dampen our spirits. So I'm just sure that like you allowing him to express and be the human he knew that he was has to just completely change his outlook, even at a young age. Cause again, we're still talking about like a five-year-old. So yeah. just, but giving him life and to be able to express himself at that young age was a gift. It was a gift. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about, I'm watching the time cause I have so much here. And again, people just have to get your book, but I'm trying to hit on some major things. So you write a letter, which I think is brilliant. You write a letter at this. So at this point in the journey, you're like, he socially transitioned. We're Rylan, we are calling him a he, like your husband's more and more on board. You decide to write a letter to friends, family, school, all of that to let people know what's going on, which is so brilliant because people are, of course, you're having awkward encounters out in public. One of the things you end the letter with, and you say a lot, you say the journey, what you've learned, you say in the letter, you know, you must also know that if you choose not to support our decision, please don't expect our relationship to grow from here. Our child's happiness is most important to us, which I thought was so powerful because you really are choosing your child. I know of other families, transgender families and parents that they refuse to acknowledge the pronouns or the gender, the, the change. So you, you pretty much drew that line of like, this is my child. I'm going to do everything. So I just admire you for doing that. Thank you. You know, it's funny because I don't really, I didn't consider myself confrontational up until that point. And I think when you have a child, you have to recognize that you're all that they have to protect them. And it was like, I sort of just had to grow up quickly and realize that if I didn't protect him, who will? And I knew that if I could just keep him in this protective bubble with people who supported him and loved him, then I could allow him to grow and 
And, you know, just to have a wholesome environment and happy environment when it was the most important. And when I wrote that letter, it was to answer all of the questions and all of the criticisms before people were given a chance to ask me or, or tell me. It was like I had to just lay it all out there, all of the research I had done, everything, all of it, because I knew for a fact that people were going to be up in arms about what was going on. I, at this point, I had found a couple other families that were doing this, not in the open as much, but, and so I was able to kind of talk to them a little bit and just do everything I could to sort of do all my research and, and just put it all out there for people. And I will tell you, I knew that we were going to lose friends. I knew we would lose family. I knew that this letter was going to not go over well with a lot of people, but it was what I had to do. And it was like getting ready for war. I mean, I hate to say that, but that's what it was. I was like preparing myself for war. And your faith, like during this time, I don't, I, this could be a whole other episode too, but your faith, like you, you identify as a Christian you did then. I mean, I know you really wrestled with God a lot as any parent would of like, why, like, why my child, why, but you were in that realm also of Christianity and you have managed to hold on. You'd still identify as a Christian. You've managed to hold on to your faith throughout this. I think, you know, as, as time goes on, it's harder and harder because I think uh, sadly to say, you know, there's good and bad apples in all religions and all walks of life. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes with Christians, people who, you know, say that they're Christian, they don't always support us. In fact, I've found that most of the people who've attacked us have claimed to be Christian. And that's where it's really, really difficult for me to even identify as Christian anymore, because it's like, I don't want to identify with the same people who are the most horrible to us. And, um, I just believe, you know, I believe that God, God made all of us. And I think that he doesn't make mistakes. And I think this is just another human variant. I have brown eyes, you have, you know, blue eyes, whatever. I think this is just another human variant. And I think this is one of the human variants that people are just not accepting of, you know, blonde hair, brown hair, brown skin, white skin, whatever it is. And I think it's unfortunate because I think, I don't think it was a mistake. I think Rylan is a beautiful human. I wouldn't change anything about him. And I just wish that people from any faith would see that this is not a mistake and there's nothing wrong with him. Um, My God loves everyone. My God loves people who are Muslim, people who are Jewish, people who are atheists, you know, and that's what I want to believe. And that's what I choose to believe. And I'm with you like a million percent. And it's really, it's very hard to stay in a faith when especially, I mean, if you look at the statistics, white evangelical Christians and parents were most supportive of the laws banning transgender um, communities and care and all of that. So I don't want to go too far down that road, but I just, I, I think it's important though for listeners to know, like you do, like you believe in God and you believe God does not make mistakes. And these faiths that say otherwise are hurting our children. Like, I just don't think that's the way of a all loving God. So, okay. I'm going to redirect us back. I just <laughs> went up, but I want to go back to, uh, so we're talking about the letter and when Rylan goes into kindergarten, you were able to give that letter, give a handout from the therapist of here's what's going on. You found the school very, very supportive at that time, California passed a law permitting transgenders, people, children to participate in school related activities, sports teams, programs, facilities, and restrooms, According to his gender identity. So you have a lot of support and it's still really, really hard. And I want to just contrast that now, like what you were able to do would not be happening now in some schools. I mean, you got to meet with school staff. You had school staff tell you like, oh, I know somebody or I'm actually in the queer community. That would not be happening. I mean, if you're in Florida right now, you're not saying any of that. So Mm -hmm. I just, I, I would just like you maybe to share a little bit how important it was to be able to talk about this into the school and have the school supportive supporting your journey, because it's still really hard and you had support and how detrimental it is to have these schools where kids cannot be supported or talked about. Um, so if you don't mind, maybe just sharing a little of that. I mean, and I'll, even though we're in Southern California, we are East County. So we're actually a more conservative uh, okay. district in okay. California. It's predominantly 
a Republican, high Christian, even Chaldean population out here, which is, um, I don't know if you're familiar, but it's I, I, like a Christian Iraqi population. So it's, okay. very, you know, okay. we're in a very conservative neighborhood. And Thankfully, you know, the, the teachers were all on board, or at least if they weren't on board, we didn't know it, but I actually created the YouTube video that is now, that is now, you know, viral. I had initially created that as an educational tool to train the staff at Ryland school, because I knew it's a very hard, it was a hard thing for Ryland to sort of not be known in our community because he had cochlear implants. That's a very uncommon thing and a very visual thing that, uh, you know, you just don't fly under the radar with that. So I knew that going into, you know, Ryland transitioned in kind of a pre-K different school, but Ryland was going to be starting at his elementary school as a boy. And there were still a ton of people in the community that knew Ryland as a girl with cochlear implants. And so I felt like I had to, I had to train the staff at Ryland school so that they would support him, you know, keep him safe because I knew there were going to be little kids that would know. And, you know, maybe they talk to their parents. The kids are actually, it's so funny. Kids are actually wholesome and they're great. It's when they go home and they talk to their parents where things go awry and parents are like, Oh, don't talk to that kid. They're free, blah, 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 whatever. And so, um, if I had the, the staff support, I knew that I would be great. So Jeff and I went in and do it, did a training with the YouTube video and it seemed like we were protected. Rylan was able to use the bathroom of his choice, thanks to AB 1266. And it was all good. I mean, there were really no reasons why he shouldn't be supported. You know, Rylan goes into the boys' bathroom. He shuts the stall. He does his thing. He's private. He's actually more worried about his privacy than anyone else. You know, I'm sure, yes, there were parents in our community that didn't agree with us. I know people were talking about us. I know there were a lot of people. In fact, I caught people talking about us, but I knew that if I could just not prove, but if we could just continue to be the people we were, we are, and show them that we're normal people. Like our kids, we sit down for dinner every night as a family. Our kids have chores. They're not allowed to say bad words. You know, we don't let them watch crazy movies. We're like a fairly normal family. And I think if you just continue to just be kind and loving to everyone and not give reasons, not give people a reason not to like us. I mean, what else can we do? Right. Right. And so going, what I'm here, heard you say is it was really important at that time for you to be able to talk to the school for protection for your child and tell them what's going on. It was really important for Ryland to be able to use the bathroom that matched gender identity. So so now if we look at these states where kids can't do that, how detrimental is that as a, as a parent, as a trans child, if you have to go into a bathroom that uh, doesn't match your gender identity? Yeah, I mean, it's terrible. I think even just having a kid going to the nurse's office to use the bathroom, people think that that's supportive. That's not supportive. You're singling a child out that already feels different. I think it's it's sad. I mean, I think, you know, people look at the bathroom as this like, almost sexual thing. People are going there to relieve themselves. I mean, my goodness, kids are transgender kids across the nation have bladder infections that are turning into kidney infections because they're so afraid to use the restroom. And it's like, come on, we all go to the bathroom. We all need to go to the bathroom. We're not going in there to look at other people. We're going in there to relieve our our body. And it's sad to me that kids are dehydrated and, you know, have, uh, eating disorders and stuff. They don't, Rylan wouldn't, Rylan doesn't even like to eat before school because he doesn't want to have to use the bathroom. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like kids need this support more than ever. And you're, you're singling out a group of kids that already have so many other issues that they're trying to deal with. It's just one more thing, one more thing. That's right. And, and sports is another, I mean, I know that's a nuanced topic in some sense, but in some sense, it's not, it's like at a young age, Rylan was able to play on the T-ball team that matches gender identity. And it's like, if some States now that is not allowed or schools, it's like that it's another hugely detrimental. I mean, do you want to speak into that? I mean, I just think it's so important for people to understand the harm that it's causing these children Yeah. And I mean, I won't, I mean, this could be a whole nother podcast topic, but I will say this when you have a child who has been blocked from puberty, like Rylan, and I will say this too, we have privilege for sure, because Rylan is a female to male transition and there's not as many people that are upset about Rylan playing on the boys team as there are about um, male to female transitions. Cause they think that 
you know, it's not fair that trans girls are playing with cisgender girls. But let me just say this. Rylan has played on the boys lacrosse team, boys water polo team. And he's done great. He's somehow managed to keep up with all the boys and even do better than them. I mean, here's the thing. If, if you, if you're blocking and I won't go too much into this, but if you're, if you're right, we've blocked female puberty for Rylan. He's never developed as a female. And same thing with some of the trans girls out there. If they've been blocked, they've never been able to develop those characteristics that would make maybe some people think that they have an advantage. Right. They've never had that. We're dealing with a whole different situation here. And I'm not saying that that people don't have an argument. And I know that there's something that we need to figure out an, a solution. Yeah. But there's just way more that I could go into. Right. Or, but I think the nuance is not there when you talk about children. Right. Children's so sports. And like, and they need this. I mean, right. I think it's, sports are so important for children to be able, like, physically, mentally, emotionally, to have that camaraderie with a team. Let me just tell you this. It's Ryland's life. I mean, he loves, 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 loves sports. And without that, I can't even imagine what type of kid he would be. I mean, that's like so much of his identity. And I just feel like it's important. It's really important for all children. Now you shared a little bit, and I I do want to touch on this, mainly the myths. I mean, I don't want to get too personal at all with Rylan, but just, you mentioned that he has started um, the hormone blockers. So I know there's a lot of myths out there, even when you went national with your story. Oh, did you know, you have the hero, you're hearing rumors about, did you hear about the family that let their child like change to have a sex, (laughs) sex change or whatever. And it's like that there's so many myths that are driving this fear that are just, I don't know how you handle it personally. (laughs) personally when you hear it. You know okay. how I handle it? I look at my child and I see how happy he is. And I think we have not made any mistakes. I, right. I mean, that's what's kind of kept us all happy mentally. I Because yeah, if I read all of those comments, it would drive me crazy if, if things weren't going well, but things are going great and I have no regrets. So yeah, I mean, just quickly, what happens is um, once a child's first starts showing signs of puberty, like around 11, 12, you introduce hormone blockers. Hormone blockers were actually invented for precocious puberty, which is early onset puberty, kids who start going through puberty at four or five years old, and they're not supposed to. So it's basically, it's harmless and it's reversible. You can have either shots or you can have a little implant put in your arm. Rylan has a little implant that we had put in his arm when he was around 11 years old and first started showing signs of puberty again, harmless and completely reversible. So if you take it out, completely reversible, I think that's such a huge, like, like this is completely reversible. You take it out. Like you were just saying, and so that actually will buy you time because if you have a child who's been presenting as a different gender, you know, for a long time, that buys you time. So, you know, we stopped puberty so that Rylan didn't develop breast tissue or any period, any of that stuff. It buys you time if they're still presenting, if Ryan's still presenting as male a couple years down the line. I mean, that's that's a, a long time that this child has not wavered and is very, very solidly a boy. Right. So we started to introduce cross hormones, testosterone, and that's where it gets controversial because once you start introducing cross hormones, those are not reversible. So you have to be pretty darn sure that this is where we're headed if you're going to introduce testosterone in Ryland's case. And we were very, very certain that, that this is, this is where we were headed. Um, And you're working with a team of doctors and therapists and parents coming together for this decision, not a one law that the government says is right or not right. So you are being very intentional, making the best medical decision for your child, like you did with the cochlear, cochlear implants. And frankly, let me be clear here. If we hadn't introduced testosterone and we were continuing to let Rylan play on the boys, uh, ice hockey team and lacrosse team and water polo team, it's actually more dangerous for him to be this scrawny little kid who hasn't gone through puberty, um, of any sort, you know, when they're kind of in this middle phase when you're playing with big, strong, muscly testosterone laden boys. So it was like, it was like almost a safety concern to not let him start taking testosterone and be on par with his peers who were clearly going through puberty 
around him. I mean, don't get me wrong. That was a hard, that was a hard pill for me to swallow initially, because that was sort of the decision, you know, as a mother, I, I really struggle with full reproduction and I loved being a mother. And does this mean that my child isn't going to be able to reproduce? Well, you know what? One mom said to me, Hillary, if you don't do this now, your child will never live to the age of child producing age or, you know, child producing whatever. And it was kind of, it was kind of true. If we didn't give Ryland this now, he would never even probably make it to adulthood. If you think about that stat and let's be honest too, there are sadly a lot of children around us. We don't even know it now, but maybe they're unable to have children. We don't figure that out until adults start to try to have, you know, start trying to have children. And so, yes, that was hard for me, but there are so many different ways for people to make a family, whether it be adoption or surrogacy or gosh, maybe Ryland won't even want to have children one day. I don't know, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. So testosterone, we did introduce testosterone and he is now getting, you know, deeper voice and just, you know, typical traits, hairy armpits, and he's stronger. I'm sure his muscles and fat distribution sort of changes now with testosterone, but And like going back to what your friend said about he, he might not live. And that's because puberty is such a detrimental and hard age for transgender youth, because with that change, especially if you're not giving the hormones, um, or the blockers, that's the the highest rates of depression and suicide because they are really having to this body that does not match what's in their heart and brain. So that is why it's so important for these kids to have access to it. So we, so the latest news uh, in Iowa, the doctors, now the legislation says doctors cannot provide gender affirming care to transgender minors. Um, Florida did the same thing, have to reverse. It's like, as a mom, like not giving insulin to diabetics. Right. That's what I want you to speak into. And and you're acknowledging, and I, I feel like these laws especially hurt people that are not privileged. I mean, you and I are both privileged white women, upper class. It's like, you can travel to other states. Travel. Yeah. Like I saw an article about a mom leaving with their family out of moving out of Iowa. Well, that's privilege that you can do that. So once again, this is hurting these families that don't have the privilege. You know, and let me just tell you a quick, like a quick story. I am on um, a bunch of underground chat groups. I, I will admittedly say I don't really participate in very much sometimes because it's heartbreaking. But I do remember a few years ago, this mom got on there and she talked about how her child had just um, laid on a train track and killed themselves. And this was a mom who was supportive of her child supportive of the transition as a family had done everything that they could to support their child. But that child still felt so terrible that their parents were going through um, financial hardship, just trying to get them the care that they needed, Mm -hmm. that the child knew that they wanted to take that away from their family. They didn't want to have to put their family through the financial hardship, the emotional hardship. And I've known multiple transgender children that are in supportive homes. I knew one personally who took their own life because even though their family is loving them and supporting them and doing everything they can, there's still like, there's like so much weight that these parents have on their shoulders because the world isn't supportive. And it's like, we have to just keep fighting and fighting and fighting and don't get me wrong. It's worth it. But even now I think allowing your child to transition younger, like not having to push them until they're 18 and out of your care, you're as a parent, you're taking the burden that they're carrying and you're carrying it for them. Mm -hmm. And even then it's still not enough. These poor kids, they know that society is against them. They know that there are laws being made that they can't join the military, that they can't use the restroom of their identity. They can't have medical care, which is, I'm sorry, but that's something that I can't believe you're going to take that away from a child. Mm -hmm. So don't get me wrong. I'm sure there are a few stories out there of people who have made mistakes or detransition, but for the majority, this is a life or death situation. And we need to support these, these children. And, you know, even with Ryland taking testosterone, if he came to us tomorrow and he said, Oh my gosh, I have made a huge mistake. I am actually, I feel female. I shouldn't have done this, blah, blah, blah. You can still transition back. I mean, sure you know, we would have to go through then maybe like hair removal or whatever and and figure it out. But even then we could figure it out. I just feel like, I don't know. I just feel like taking away medical care from these families is a life and death 
situation and no doubt children are dying. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's horrific. And it's like, I cannot get my mind. I mean, this year there have been more, like, I think it's like 431 bills that have been out there trying to restrict care. And I don't know why this population, well, that's a whole other topic. I, political pawns. These yes, kids yes. use political pawns because this is a group of people that are being, that are feared for some reason. If I think, unfortunately, the conservative and sometimes Christian you can say it. So Hillary, yeah, say it. We, I, I, I promise you we're on the same page. So you don't be hesitant. Right? Christians don't agree and think that we're absolute crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that we're crazy people. And let me just tell you, like, I I did not, I did not create this. Like, I, I had no idea that I would be walking in these shoes. And I don't get me wrong. I feel actually very blessed to be walking in these shoes because it has opened my mind to so many things that I think have made me just more open-minded and loving, but I think people are afraid of what they don't know. Right. And if you, if, if you just had a moment in our home to sit with us at a table, we are just like you. We are just like everyone else out there. We just have a child with a little, with a human variance that people aren't used to. And it's actually beautiful. Thank you for speaking to that, Hillary. You are such, I mean, you're You've won awards, you're an advocate, you're an ally, you're all of the things. And I just, I think as a mom and being able to share your personal journey, there's nothing more powerful than that. And now people just actually have to listen to the moms and parents and not the myths out there or the politicians or the fear, people that are trying to instill fear, but actually what's going on. So so this episode is releasing on International Transgender Day of Visibility, and that's an annual event. It celebrates transgender people and raises awareness of the discrimination. And that's why I felt it's even more important to share your voice. But I'm just curious with that, like, what's the loudest message that you want to be sharing now with that day of visibility, whether it's to allies or to parents walking that journey or just to transgender people? I mean, I'm sure you have so many, but I'd just love to hear, hear kind of the loudest message on your heart now with that. <sighs> I think my message is different um, for whoever I'm talking to, but I think for the trans people out there, um, I guess I'm, I think for the trans people out there, I, I just want them to know that I see them. There's nothing wrong with them. I see you. And I think for whatever it's worth to just keep being who you are and know that it, it's nothing wrong with you. It's, it's what's wrong with the world around you. And I hope that we get there, you know, just like with any other fight that we've had to fight women's rights, um, equality across the board. I, I just hope that you have the patience that will get there eventually, you know, just to continue being who you are and there's nothing wrong with you. To the people out there who don't want to believe that this is a natural, normal human variance, I just challenge you to open your heart and open your mind to something that you may not completely fully understand, but just know that um, this isn't going away. And this is, I don't know, just the, the, again, this, there's nothing wrong with trans people. It's just, there's something wrong with our society that we have to try to learn, open your heart. I guess my messages are different for, for yeah. whoever is yeah. listening to this. I think, you know, the, to the conservative, maybe Christian folks out there who believe that this is against the Bible. I don't, I think that, you know, God made all of us. And I don't think that God makes mistakes. And I think that I think the mistake lies in the people who aren't willing to love with their hearts open. So I think also, if you could just maybe wrap up because this has been your journey as a mom, what, what would you say to other moms walking this journey, especially in these times where so much hate is out there and the laws, I have friends that are walking this journey. What, what would you say to those moms? I just think the biggest gift as a mother that you can give your child is to, um, to see them to listen to them and to get rid of those um, thoughts in your head of who you think their child should be and allow them to show you who they are. Even though we create them, it doesn't give us the space to tell them exactly who they are or, or force them to like the things that we like or do the things that we do. I think as a parent, if you're um, just more willing to meet your child where they're at. And maybe you don't have all the answers, but even just being able to say that to your child, just to be vulnerable with them, like, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to try and learn. I'm going to try and figure this out. I'm going to try and help you however I can. I think, I think just seeing your child as 
maybe an equal in a way. I mean, obviously, yeah, we're we're in charge of guiding them and being their parent. But I think I think children would appreciate just their, their parent listening and seeing them and hearing them. I think at least reading your book, the biggest message and that and this applies whether your child is transgender, different in any way from what society says is, quote, normal, like just loving and supporting your child through it, listening and loving and supporting them through it. A child think, is a safe place to land at the end of the day. Yeah. Society can be cruel, but if if they know they have a soft place, a safe place to land at the end of the day, I think that makes a world of a difference. Right. And yeah, I think it's a huge gift um, as a parent to give your child that that space to be who they are and to love them with no strings attached. That's right. I know we have to wrap up, Hillary. I already kept you like eight minutes longer. So we are going to, we are going to wrap up. We both have birthday parties to get, to get moving <laughs> on and, and planning. Hillary, your book is called Raising Rylan, our story of parenting a transgender child with, like you just said, no strings attached. Available on Amazon and all the book places. You also have a website. You have a website with an amazing video. Like there's, there's lots of things that you can go other resources. So what is your website, Hillary? We'll make sure to put links to all of this in the show notes. It's hillarywhittington.com. Okay. Hillary, thank you so, so much just for sharing the story again and again and being just an advocate and a voice and such a beautiful example of just loving, loving well. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed our time together and I appreciate you covering this story and this topic and hopefully we'll um, shed some light and open some hearts with it. So thank you.